Okay. How was your day? It was good. It was an ACL day. Um, all quad tendons can be proud of me. <laughs> I'm moving away from BTV like slowly but surely. I was telling someone that like it used to be like, okay, like quad for like people over 30 yeah. that are really active that like, you know, or like over 40 that are active that I don't want to do allograph in. And they're like, okay, skeletally mature with open growth plates, you know? And then it was like over 20. And yeah. then it was like, all right, that like window between like 13 and 20 is like becoming smaller and smaller. And now I'm like, I wonder if I'll ever do a BTV ever again, just because they do so well, you know? They so. do so well. Yeah. Um, and I think especially you and I both get a lot of girls. So it's just yes. sort of, you know, mm-hmm. I get why they like it. And I wouldn't want a BTV like myself, just like thinking about my kneecap being like cut. I just, yeah, I completely, I completely agree. And I but, okay. Yeah. So, um, I think that's about it. I don't know. Yeah. Do you want to dive into our questions first before we dive into okay. our uh, our overtime? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Let me. I'm pulling up our questions. Okay, I do have them. Okay. Um, so, do you want me to ask you the first one? Or you want to ask me? Yeah, sure. So, well, I'll just give a little reminder to our people because we had our little our little intro and catch up on life. But we're doing these new episodes called Ask the Sports Docs, where we basically take listener questions that you've sent us either via Instagram or YouTube, or Twitter, or X, whatever it's called, or our email, and we try to answer them. We, we try to pick questions that we think are really great that we've heard from other people. Um, and so please keep your questions coming. There's no such thing as a silly question. So please reach out to us, let us know. Or if you have topic ideas, things you're dying to hear about in these mini episodes that we do, these overtime episodes or injury reports, we'd really love to hear from you. So we'll kick it off with some of the some of the top questions, and we hope that you keep sending them to us. Yeah, no, agree. I think they're really fun to get because it also helps us know like what people are interested in hearing about. Exactly. Um, okay. So I have one for Ashley. Um, mm-hmm. It is from Peter and he is actually a, a not one of our patients, but he is a patient mm-hmm. um, and he is in North Carolina and he wants to know how do surgeons or how do orthopedic surgeons decide which meniscus tears will do well in surgery and which can do fine just in PT. So I think he's just trying to understand like, how do we counsel like on meniscus tears? Like, how do we know, okay, you're going to be fine in physical therapy or no, you're definitely going to be in the OR. So I think that's a pretty common question in clinic too. So mm-hmm. what, how, how do you counsel people? I think that's a really common question. And a lot of times I see wide eyes when I tell people, you know, we're going to try our very hardest to, you know, repair the meniscus if it's repairable, but if not, we're going to clean it out. And people are like, you're going to, you're going to remove my meniscus? Like, oh, can't you just, just try a repair? And I, I have to explain to them that some meniscus tears really are not repairable. You don't want me suturing together an irreparable tear only for you to continue to have pain and need to go back for a second surgery. So the short answer is I tell them that we use our clinical judgment, but you and I know it's a, it's a little bit beyond that. So I would say pattern of tear really to me is the most important. Um, it used to be age. Like when I first got into practice, I was like, oh, it's, it's age, you know, age and, and kind of, you know, activity level. But as you probably can attest to more than I, like being in Colorado with such an active population, age is just a number. So for me, it really is the pattern of the tear. So I would tell that patient that it's towards the periphery or what we call the red zone, meaning we can see good blood supply. That means to me that it is a repairable tear. Now, I also counsel them that, I mean, the numbers probably have changed with newer data, but the number I quote is without an ACL reconstruction being done at the same time, meniscus healing rates can be roughly around 60 to 70%. So it's still not a like sure shot, but it has a chance especially if it's peripheral. So I would say peripheral tear is number one. Number two, you know, meniscus quality. So more than age. And you get in there, you're looking at a yellow, 
degenerated, hard, calcified meniscus, that's not going to do well with a repair versus if it looks like it's good quality tissue, it's not deformed, it hasn't been flipped into the notch for three months, you know, things like that, I think increase the repairability. So I would say those are the two main things that I look at, but I'd love to hear your thoughts just taking care of a, you know, a, a very active population. Like what are your thoughts on what's repairable versus not? Yeah, I would say the only caveat I sort of add is sometimes people understand the risks of a repair, but they want to just try it um, and know that sometimes there'll be a secondary surgery if it fails. So I would say, you know, that's always an option. If I say, you know what, that, I'm not sure that this is going to be very repairable or maybe part of it is like, say it's a more chronic bucket handle tear. And we mm -hmm. can say like, all right, we, we don't want to take it all out, um, but you know, yeah. we can try and do some of it knowing that a portion of it might fail and we might have to address that later. Um, and, but I agree like with what you said about quality. I always give like a food example, which not to ruin this food for you, but like the way, cause I feel like patients get it when I say it this way. And I'll say like, if I'm like putting fishing line or stitching th something through like a scallop, that's kind of like what good meniscus is. It's sort of like firm, but soft, but it mm -hmm. like you, it'll hold like fishing line and it'll stay in there. But if your meniscus is super beat up, it's more like crab meat. And if I'm like trying to like throw like, yeah. you know, sutures or stitches through crab meat, it just pulls through and it's not going to work. There's not going to be a good quality repair there. And usually that's sort of like, you know, it's a gross example, but they're sort of like, oh, okay. You know, it makes sense. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's a so. really good way. Cause I think people think like we say it's not repairable. It's like we're, we're lazier. We don't, we don't want to give it a chance. Yeah. If, if when I go to tension that, you know, all inside implant and the whole thing just pulls through the capsule and the meniscus, it's not that we don't want to, it's we physically cannot. So I think that's, that's really important. Now, when you have those ones that someone's like, Hail Mary, I want to try it. The tissues it's holding suture, but not great. Do you add any augments, any like biologics, PRP injections, like post-op in the clinic or even intra-op to kind of augment that? We, I definitely offer PRP, um, but obviously not everybody can afford that. But what mm -hmm. I do do standardly with any rotator cuff, uh, um, God, rotator cuff, excuse me, <laughs> um, with any um, meniscus repair is I do put some holes in the notch mm -hmm. um, at the end of the case. So whether it's like an awl or a little drill or, you know, whatever you, you know, you have available, like just to express some of those good healing cells. It, like mm -hmm. I did that earlier today. Um, so I'll do that at the end of the case. How much that really changes the healing environment? Who knows, but it definitely like helps. I think, you know, that's that whole principle of like, you know, if you do it in the setting of an ACL reconstruction, when we're drilling in the endocondylar notch, they have better outcomes. So I'm not going to put a 10 millimeter drill mm -hmm. hole in their <laughs> endocondylar notch, but I'll put a bunch of small ones and, you know, hopefully they drive some of that benefit. Um, are you doing any biologics? So for ones that um, are, you know, I'm piecing together a bucket handle that's really yeah. deformed and it's like, red white zone but closer to the white zone in a teenager athlete i will we have a non-operative sports doc in our practice that does all of our like ultrasound guided injections and biologics and he does the like prp a2m like he knows all those details that that are a little bit beyond me but i will send them to him for a consult right post-op and try to get it done within the week i mean i would love to have it at our surgery center for those um but we just don't have that like the centrifuge and that whole setup there but i do counsel them about cost but i mean we try to keep you know, our, our costs as low as possible. We try to keep it the lowest in our, in our region in terms of being affordable for patients. Um, you know, and I would say that if I really think it's something that's going to benefit, you could even offer like a payment plan or something like that. Cause I had a couple where I've done PRP now granted, maybe they just did well because they would have done well, but they, they did well. And so I feel like if it's on the cusp and it's a teen and I don't want them losing that whole meniscus, I will send them for a PRP injection. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I love that notch thing. I I think that's really great. I I always do that. I just use a microfracture pick. I know some people are using like the power pick and some other things. I think the biggest thing is just getting that bone marrow into the, into the joint space. Like we do for ACL, just like you said. I think so too. And then I guess the last part of his question was like, who do we send to PT? Um, Mm -hmm. And I would just sort of say, it's really like those older degenerative tears in the setting of arthritis. Like I, you know, I, I don't think those like a lot of times they're, they're going to do well um, in physical therapy alone or with some injections. Mm-hmm. And if there's like a big flap tear, I think sometimes you want to take out that mechanical aggravant or whatever's catching. So if they have like mechanical symptoms and they're like locking, catching, I think it makes sense to take those to the OR. But if it's more just like pure pain, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just don't see like that those patients do very well with the OR and that really it's just like injection physical therapy whether it's like a gel or prp or cortisone you know i think it, it little patient specific there but mm-hmm. um no, it's really I, completely, those I completely agree and you really kind of hit the nail on the head with the degenerative picture so arthritis yeah. like to me is a big contraindication to, to doing surgery on a meniscus i mean again uh displaced piece like flipped into the meniscotibial gutter like uh, yeah. pressing on the mcl yeah. causing a lot of discomfort that to me is an indication to fish that out because that'll cause pretty significant pain or flipped into the notch with loss of motion. But if they have significant arthritis, I know there are surgeons around the country that will take that for a, you know, clean up. Yeah. I'm not on board with that. I feel like when I've had to do that for like flipped bucket handle meniscuses in the setting of severe arthritis, yeah. um, those patients get stiff. They still have pain. They're unhappy. Yeah. I would definitely manage them with injections and therapy. Now you mentioned injections. Let's say you have, I'm just going to pick a, a random number, 30 year old patient yeah. with a doesn't look like it's a flip tear, but a yeah. complex meniscus tear involving the posterior horn of the medial meniscus. Would you do a cortisone in that patient, or do you have like an age cutoff that you would try cortisone, or just kind of anti-inflammatories, sending them to PT? Yeah, I can't remember the last time I've done an injection for that setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when they're younger, I really just try and stay away from it, and then even if it's sort of like, yeah, a complex sort of tear in the mm-hmm. back, like I generally are just. Yeah, probably taking them to surgery, to be honest. Okay, got it. So I tend to be more conservative, but I like hearing your thoughts. Like I manage every meniscus tear unless it's flipped into the notch or out into the gutter, non-operatively. But I tell them like, you know, and there's some patients that say, no, I don't want to do that. It's their knee, it's their choice. I'm not going to like cross my my arms and be like, no, I'm not taking you to surgery. But I really try to push them to. And I do cortisone. I mean, not in like 20s, but like 30s tear, try to avoid surgery. I I will. Um, But you're right that a fair number of them, especially if they're active, end up coming back in with some symptoms or they're okay until they try their activities, like going for a six mile run. And then all of a sudden they're like, it's back, you know? So maybe I should be more aggressive surgically. I just, you know, I always just try to avoid surgery forever. Even though I love surgery, I joke with people. I love surgery. That's why I'm a surgeon, but I'm trying to save you from a surgery. But, you know, perhaps being a bit more aggressive with those younger individuals might be the right move. Well, I think if it's like complex, sometimes, you know, if you're sort of like, all right, I see a little bit of a vertical pattern in the back or, you know, some aspect yeah. of it, like I can tear. Cause I just sort of picture like the folks that are coming to my office, they're like, well, is it okay? Like if I say, Hey, we're going to try and treat this conservatively. They'll be like, can I go ski this weekend? You know, just, <laughs> just yeah. you know, so I just think about this is going to propagate. This is going to get bigger. Yeah. How do we sort of put a stop to it mm-hmm. um, and yeah. shut them down a little bit? But yeah, it's probably. You know, if someone came in and was like, I'd go on the elliptical sometimes, I'd, yeah. it'd be a different. That's very true. You know. Very true. Mm. Or like, you know, in season versus off season and things like oh, that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. 
If you're looking for a trusted name in osteochondral allograft transplantation, look no further than JRF Ortho. With a stellar track record and a reputation as the leader in fresh osteochondral allografts, JRF Ortho is here to elevate your practice to new heights. JRF Ortho has proudly distributed over 25,000 allografts worldwide, making a significant impact in the field. Their passion for this industry goes beyond the numbers. It's about helping patients and fulfilling their mission of improving people's quality of life. But that's not all. At JRF Ortho, they understand that superior customer care is crucial. They aim to give you one less thing to think about so you can focus on what matters the most, your patients. And they make ordering JRF Ortho easy. They're committed to accommodating your needs, delivering allografts on your terms. You're in control. Choose your scheduling option, whether it's specifying a surgery date, providing a date range, or just requesting the earliest available allograft. Your preferences are their top priority, so prepare for success. Order with JRF Ortho and take control of your orthopedic journey. Awesome. Okay. Well, well I think, do, um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, let's do our second question. Um, so this is from Tara in New Jersey. She's a physical therapist in our area um, and asked which patients should do well with physical therapy for a slap tear versus which types of patients often go on to need surgery. So okay. in your experience, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? So slap tears in general, I would say I do usually say there's nothing, nothing wrong with trying some physical therapy. So we're assuming there's um, no propagation of the tear into the biceps. I think that sort of changes my, you know, like my hope that they're going to do well outside of the OR. Not that I, I don't say, Hey, go ahead and try, but pretty much any slap tear I offer conservative management mm -hmm. because I don't think there's a lot of downside. I think, you know, if they um, have the willingness to do some physical therapy in general, they're not going to like change how, how much worse the slap tear gets, you know, with a little bit of time and conservative management. I haven't found a lot of like purpose or like there's not a big point and actually this is like a dr price thing he talked a lot about was, how like were you thinking about that yes, about I, I was thinking about him too to, yes yeah, I, <laughs> um, so about injection just not really being you know all that useful um mm -hmm. in that setting um so I always start with physical therapy and I just counsel them. If they say like, am I going to like end up going to the OR? And in my experience, the people that end up going to the OR, whether you're doing a repair or a tenodesis or people who are just like upper extremity sport dominant. Mm -hmm. So if someone is like a skier, generally, you know, it might trigger them every once in a while, or sometimes they have symptoms, but overall, like not a huge deal. But if they're a climber, they like, you know, very yeah. rarely do well with conservative management. They just get very frustrated and like kind of keep like they'll do well for a period of time and then it becomes symptomatic again. And they kind of have this like on and off, on and off, on and off. So for me, I think a lot of it depends on like what their activity choices are. I don't know about mm -hmm. you. I completely agree. Overhead throwing athletes, I do yeah. tell them, or even like overhead weight lifters, I tell them as well that we can certainly try some non-surgical treatment, but I am concerned that they may go on yeah. to require surgery. And this is yeah. just anecdotal. Like I have not done a literature search to support what yeah. I'm about to say, but I feel like traumatic slap tears, which they're not commonly traumatic. Like, you know, slap tears tend to be degenerative over time, especially yeah. those type one, type twos. But I find, so I have, a, I wouldn't say a large workers' compensation population, but a fair number of workers' compensation 
rehabilitation patients where they've been lifting something heavy, felt a pop in the shoulder, and they have what clearly looks like a traumatic slap tear. Um, and so those tend to like, even though with PT and you could also, you know, question maybe also the underlying workers' compensation claim as well too, but they don't tend to get better with kind of the traditional treatment modalities that we do, including physical therapy, um, but they really do feel significantly better after surgery. And I wonder if it's just because of all that inflammation and that pain from that initial trauma. So that's another one. I had one, he wasn't workers' comp, but he was a weightlifter and he was lifting heavy and felt a pop. Um, and so we got, you know, an MRI and he had a traumatic slap tear. And so I, and he did really well with surgery. So I do think traumatic tears are another thing where I may say, yeah, we might just go right to surgery and try to address this either with a repair or tenodesis, as you said. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that, that one I feel like is a pretty straightforward answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. I don't, I don't really have anything more to add there. Do you? <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's good. I think that, that is... Um, that was a very good question. And I think it's important, though, to ask that because even though it came from a physical therapist, I think our patients ask that a lot, too. And you say you have a labrum tear, you don't need surgery. Yeah. And people were like, wait, my buddy dislocated his shoulder and had a labrum tear and he was taking a surgery. He was told he had to to stabilize the shoulder. And we have to explain this is a different animal. So I'm really glad that this was asked. I think it's an important question to tackle. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you both for sending in your questions. Yeah. So thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Ask the Sports Docs. Please keep sending us your questions, as I said, on any of the platforms. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram. You can send it to our Gmail, the sportsdocspod at gmail.com. You can reach us to us on Twitter, kind of any of those avenues. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we're also really excited about our next series of episodes coming up, which is going to be recaps of our time at the Academy annual meeting with a special guest. So stay tuned for that. So again, if you haven't done this already, Please make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or YouTube to stay up to date on all things sports medicine. And you can also reach us on Instagram and Twitter and Gmail, as I previously said. So keep sending us your questions. And until next time, have a great night. Good night. Bye.